Last week we celebrated the, the resurrection and what it provided for eternal life. Um, we said, as we looked at the three testimonies, unlikely testimonies, I think that's what struck me, was here was the Jesus appearing, probably more than that, but clearly we can say from the Bible to more than 500 at one time. And out of the number of people that he appeared to, he, he appears to the disciples, the least of the disciples, and um, in their most troubling or, or trying circumstances. And John records only three of those, and he specifically says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that he is giving us these testimonies so that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that believing in Him you might have life in, in, in His name. And, and besides the testimonies of the resurrection, just being reminded uh, of those very familiar passages, what, what just took me back was, 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 was who, God, who God chose to reveal Himself to. You know, and, and that that's where He, he put his, his eggs, if you, if you will. Um, the resurrection is both a vindication and a, and a victory. Uh, it's a vindication of who Jesus was. His resurrection proved, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that He was sinless and that He was the Son of God. Um, sinners don't rise from the dead. And... If Christ would have had sin, then sin would have taken him to the grave and he would have remained there. But the Bible tells us that sin didn't take Christ to the grave in the sense of overcoming him. He became sin for us. He became sin when he knew no sin. He willingly laid his life down and the grave could not hold him because of, of who he was. And that was also a vindication that he was the Son of God. It, the road of sin leads to a dead end. Um, the Bible says the soul that sins, it shall die, period. And that's the end of the line. Sinners can't reach God because He dwells in a place of perfect light and He is light. This is a vindication. It also uh, demonstrates His victory. His victory over sin and death. I mean, when Jesus went into the grave and came out, it... It displayed his, his triumph over them. And so we sing, Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. Not my Savior who lived and then went into the grave. My Savior forever. And, and He's my Savior forever because there's victory in Him. Where's that victory come from? That victory is, is the resurrection. He sought me and bought me with His redeeming blood. I mean, Paul says without the resurrection, there's, there's no point to the gospel for us. Um, what he means by that is if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then our faith only takes us as far as, as we go in this life. It, if there's no resurrection, you're believing Jesus, you're following Jesus, even if, even if it's, it's genuine, it only takes you up to, up to death and... You don't know when that's coming. Sin and death 
from the time of the fall are the great doorkeepers of the grave. It, they'd still be guarding the entrance to eternal life. They'd still be guarding the entrance of coming out of the other side of the grave. And we could go no farther than that, no matter what we've done, because they're foes that we can't conquer. But Jesus conquered those foes. He rose from the dead. And the door's not just opened, it's blown completely off of the hinges. And we now have a way to follow Him beyond the grave. He's the forerunner. He's the firstfruits. This morning, I want, I want to show you that the same power of the resurrection, the same power that, that brought Jesus out of the grave, the same power that will, that will resurrect you one day and take you to heaven, is, is the same power, that power has the same benefits to us here and now while, while we live. Without the resurrection, Paul says your faith will, is only as good as up to life, but you have the resurrection, so it takes you beyond this life. But that same power is what fuels, what powers, what gives strength, what propels, probably plenty of other words that you could think of, here and now. Jesus just isn't just, I should say, our ticket to, to heaven, although He is that. His work has granted us what we, we need to live right now. So we're going to go to a couple of places, but I want to start this morning in 2 Peter. So if you open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. Clearly we see the value of believing in the resurrection, the benefits of the resurrection whenever you're at a funeral. Clearly you can see the benefits of the resurrection whenever you think about death. Clearly you see the benefits of the, of the resurrection whenever you hear resurrection sermons on, on Easter Sunday. But what about the rest of, uh, of life? Well, this past week, um, Tracy asked me to look over a lesson that, that she's teaching at a, at a women's retreat later this month. And, and she, she began the, the, the lesson about telling us the story uh, a story that happened about 16 years ago. It was a huge walk down down memory lane for me, and and I, I'd say not all of the not all of the experiences were were pleasant to to say the to say the least. Um, began in February 2000 at 9 a.m. and we were on our way to Women's and Children's Hospital in Charleston, West Virginia. Tracy was 37 weeks pregnant with Nathan and Olivia headed for a scheduled C-section. And it was, it was an anxious time, not only because of, because of that, but um, there were also a number of things going on in our, in our, life at, uh, our lives at that point in time. Um, I was leaving my job as the COO for Anthem and ordered to attend seminary here in, in Lynchburg. And if I looked back on that, I, I just 
you know, being a preacher, you have uh, titles or things that come to your mind. I, I just thought, you know, a great title for, for, for that part of my life would have been Journey from the Penthouse to the Outhouse, literally. I mean, I, I was going from the Chief Operating Officer to Maintenance Man and Midnight Security Guard, you know. If it was a sitcom, it would be like a cross between Barney Fife and Mike Rowe meets Dirty Jobs. You know, that guy who goes and digs uh, sewers or whatever. He finds the worst jobs possible. is on CNN. And then I thought, you know, we have pictures of, uh, of me and the kids would tease me. Tracy would tease me, ask me where my bullet was. You know, how Barney used to keep a bullet in his, his pocket and... Um, and yet before I feel too sorry for myself or you feel sorry for me, prior to meeting Jesus, the sitcom title would have been like Otis Meets Donald Trump, you know, except with a lot less money. Um, I was proud, still am in a lot of ways. Thought I had what it meant to be successful. Still believe that at times until God shows me otherwise. I pursued life like, like any other pagan worldling to my shame. And it was quite a change, as, as, you can, as you can imagine. And the decision to do all of that happened within 30 days while my wife had a three-year-old and right after the, the birth of, of the twins. They were born. and Those of you who have had Children and young ones know that how trying that time those times can be. A few months later, we were on our way to the very large U-Haul to, with all of our belongings, to 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 live in a very small apartment on the grounds of Eagle Irie Baptist Conference Center. I, I worked evening shift, thirty hours a week, attended seminary full time. Bailey was three, and by that time, the twins were six six months old. It was hard. It's filled with grace. You know, you if you if you if you go to ministry, you go to seminary, you always have these, you know, horror stories. It's like it almost sounds like, you know, whenever you're a kid and you talk to your dad, you don't want to go to school that day. Well, when I was your age, you know, whenever you hear those walk barefooted five miles, you know, in the in the snow. Similar. You know. One winter we had no heat. So cold we had to open the the stove and turn the burners on to keep the room warm, keep the kids warm, and they fixed the heat, but it ran 24 hours a day, seven days a week, a year round, so in the summertime, you had to open the windows and keep the air conditioners on. Tracy said we had bugs that she didn't know existed. First came the ladybugs. You remember the ladybugs? What happened to the ladybugs? Now we got the stink bug plague. For a while, it was like the ladybugs. I mean, it looked like something right out of Exodus, the biblical plague. I mean, they just cover everything. And you suck them up with a sweeper and they come back just as fast. Then your whole house smells like this, you know, pulverized ladybug scent because it comes into the shop back. And you come to the roaches and the, and the spiders. I can remember her saying, you know, I can, I can handle just about anything, but, but I just, I don't like roaches. I don't like roaches either. I can remember the first time I saw one in the apartment. She hadn't seen it yet. I was like, oh, Lord, you know, get rid of that thing. Kill it. And yet she did fine. 
Got a busboy pan from the cafeteria for the bathtub for the kids. Maybe you have a story like that. Maybe your story is much worse. There's a whole lot worse things to go through than that, for sure. Maybe not. My point is, regardless, God wants you to know the power of Christ is yours for all of life's circumstances. Not just to die, but to live today. And I read that, that, that walk down memory lane... What really stuck out to me was not the difficult circumstances, although I was like, oh yeah, I remember that, I remember that. It was how she described making it through that, that difficult time. Oh, there were plenty of times when we didn't make it through. And times of failure and tears. But there were also many times that, that we found strength. She said what was most helpful in the trials was reminding herself of this, God has not planned to take me to heaven, but then left me to live alone now. What I believe about Jesus is good for this life right now. So what am I to learn from this difficult experience? How does Christ's power help me now? And that's exactly... I think what Peter writes. In chapter 1, the first verse and the second verse is the introduction. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and, and virtue, by which He has given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escape, escaped the corruption that is in the world through, through lust. For this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue and virtue, knowledge to knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance to perseverance, godliness, the godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things, or but he who lacks these things, is, is nearsighted, short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, you'll never completely fall. For an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter is going to write about false teachers. Before he ever does that, he gives us some amazing truths. And there's a progression here. We preached through Second Peter several years ago. He lays the foundation of grace that the Christian life 
is built upon. God has supplied everything we need for life and, and godliness so that we lack nothing. Do you feel like that all the time? I mean, you know it intellectually. God has supplied all things, everything that you need for life and God. Do you experience that all the time? Do you feel that all the time? Well, Peter might help you and me this morning. He, he lays this foundation that we're going to look at of all that, that, that God's grace has provided for us today. He then encourages us on that basis to, to exert energy to grow, and as these qualities are there, as we are growing, as we're, we're producing them, as we're increasing in them, it gives us assurance, and by doing so, we won't be useless or, or unfruitful, and we'll have an abundant entrance in, into heaven. You're going to outline it, I would say there are three components that he lays out here to the, to the Christian life. We're only going to look at the first one this morning. The first component is the, is the sufficient faith that, that we, we possess. If you would at, at verse 3. After this, this introduction, he says, God's divine power has furnished, has given to us everything that that we need in our, in our faith. God has made sufficient provision for our faith, and He says we are, we are lacking, lacking nothing. Jesus Christ's divine power has furnished our faith with the ability to exercise itself, to grow, to remain. And that's where Peter begins. Now think about that. Before he ever gets to the false teachers, before he ever gets to to living in light of the fact that Jesus is returning, before He ever commands us to grow, before He ever tells us to do anything, He starts with what God has already done. All of our resources are the resources of God. And all of God's resources are, are yours, He says, and mine without restriction in Christ, in His divine power, has furnished you and me with a, with a sufficient faith. Now, that creates a, a problem for me. It's not a problem with God's Word. It's a problem with my experience. Because I go back to what I said earlier. I know that's true, but I don't always feel sufficient. And so then I ask myself the question, why? Well, I can tell you, based upon the authority of God's Word, has nothing to do with, with God's sufficiency. And I would say that even in the times when I don't feel sufficient, even that is grace. Because it points me to where my sufficiency should be found. <laughs> it's in Christ. Your faith, Peter says in verse 3, his divine power has given, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and, and godliness. And he starts with God's divine power. Your faith draws from a constant source of power that has an unlimited supply. Some of you may have lived during World War II or 
have read during other times when, when things had to be rationed? You know? Yeah, Ashton raises his hand. Is anybody in here older than Ashton? <laughs> Pastor Allie, did you raise your hand? You didn't raise your hand. Nobody. Nobody's older than Ashton. Some of you remember what it's like to have a lack, right? I mean, we lament that that's part of the problem in, in our American society. That's the problem with these kids today. They don't know how it is to go without. Some of you know what it's like to go without. And, and you know that that, 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 that you have to ration and, and you have to think and you have to make decisions about should I use this or should I, or should I, I not use this? And, and sometimes it's even hard to make the transition after you get out of that rationing whenever there's, a, whenever there's an abundance. And if you respond to that wrongly, it can make you stingy or, or, or fearful. First thing that Peter starts with here is you have a constant source of God's power and it is an unlimited supply. God doesn't ration what He's provided to you and you don't need to ration the divine power that, that's granted to your faith. I want you to notice that he says that before he commands us to do anything. And so I conclude from that for myself, I don't need more power whenever I like it or feel like I like it. I need to ask for help to believe. To believe God for the power that, that I already have. Going back to that lesson that that I read, I think I've shared this story with you before, but... She had it in there and it reminded me and gave me a chuckle. Uh, one year I bought a, bought a new lawnmower and Tracy uh, decided one day she was going to mow the grass. I was busy and we didn't have time to, to spend together. It was my chore, but she thought it would be great. You know, I helped my husband out, free up the afternoon. She did it more than once. And, and when I got home and I saw what she did, um, you know, I was just... My first response was, that's my job, you're not supposed to do that. And then I was very thankful. But immediately she, she started complaining about this new lawnmower. This new lawnmower is junk. I'm like, what do you mean? You know, I paid $250 for this push mower. I mean, she moaned about how hard it was to push and that it had no power at all. And as I began to listen, you know, I had to, had to bite back a laugh. It was a self-propelled lawnmower. And not knowing that, she was pushing it without engaging the power drive. Have you ever tried to push a self-repaired lawnmower without engaging the power drive? And she had mowed the entire yard that way. She laughs about it today, evidence of the fact that she includes it in her lesson. You know, Peter says it's the same way in our Christian lives. We don't need a lawnmower. We don't need more power. We need to rely on the power that God has granted to us and stop pushing in our own strength. You feel like your Christian life's like that? Peter says that there's a power drive on there. And God won't forsake you. He won't say, you silly Christian, you're not using my power. I'm going to just, just cast you aside until you wise up. And He'll keep providing and... And He'll allow you to push along. And He'll even allow your arms to get tired. And He'll even allow you to complain about how difficult it is and, 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 and how you just can't, you can't seem to make it anymore. Because in that moment, in that, in that position, He may even allow you to fall while you're pushing 
the lawnmower only to pick you up again. Because in that moment, whenever we realize that, that we can't do it on our own, even though we know that, we experience that we can't do it, through that God shows us where the power drive is on the, on the lawnmower. Um, is that you? could be you're pushing and not engaging. Stop asking for more power and ask for more help to, to believe. Alright? He starts with His divine power. Not yours, not mine. His divine power has furnished our faith. And then He emphasizes how complete it is. The provision that He's made is, is complete. He's supplied all things. He's supplied all we need for, for life or godliness. All things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, I know you're not Greek scholars. Neither am I. But even a Strong's Concordance, even an interlinear, will show you that all things is in the emphatic position. It's, it's emphasized. If you're thinking like in a, in a, on a Word document, it's in bold. It's, it's italicized. It's it's to draw our attention to the fact that it's not only His power, but it's sufficient. All things. It's not one thing that we were ever face or ever need in the Christian life that God has not provided. Intellectually, if you're a believer, you say, I know that's true, but do you feel that way all the time? There's not one thing that you'll ever face or ever need in the Christian life that God has not supplied enough power or whatever all things is in that, they go through it. It's completely furnished. I think what Peter is, is emphasizing here is the gospel doesn't simply ignite the Christian life. It's the fuel that, that keeps Christians going and, and even growing every day. Some years ago, I... I tried to to burn a, a brush pile. Now, men and fire, you know, it's it's just this wonderful thing that that happens. Um, you never grow out of it, even though you're a kid. I mean, you you could take a little boy, and if there's matches around, you know, they're he's going to get into them, and that doesn't go away. And this is a pile of of stumps. That were, that were really large. I kept looking at them and I thought, you know, I'm going to burn those. So I go out and I, I found cardboard and paper and, and everything I could find around the, around the house and they would light for a while and, you know, of course I, I don't do it right. I don't get smaller stuff and kindling and other things and burn fire and then put the stumps on it. No, I mean, these are stumps and we're just going to burn them the way that they are. So you pile stuff around them. And when that didn't work, I finally re resulted in turning to the trusty can of gasoline. You probably already know where this is going, right? I'm not the only one. Let's pour some gas on it. And I know, the gas is very flammable. I'm a smart guy. And I know it's not a good thing to pour a lot of gas on a brush pile and then light it, even if you can flick the match in, even if you can stand back far enough to be able to throw it in there and it stay lit, 
without blowing out, you know, before you're getting it. So, I took a can of gas and I made a stripe about 20 feet back. Because I'm smart. And I put the match in that. Well, you, you already know. It raced toward the pile. And then all of the gas fumes that were, that were there ignited all at once. And the pile went up and it exploded. Um, obviously, I'm here, so I didn't die. Oh, it did. It, it burned high and it burned hot. So did the hair on my arm. But then it quickly died out as soon as the gasoline was burnt off. God hasn't provided the gospel for us to use like a gas can to light a quick fire. That's not what Peter says here. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and and godliness. Although the gospel is more powerful than a hundred tankers full of gasoline. Your faith has been supplied with starter and with all the dry wood it needs to burn until you get home. It's fully furnished. Peter puts that in bold letters, all things. Life and godliness. Life refers to eternal life. It's the end. I mean, he's saying eternal life from the moment of salvation, eternal life which continues forever and ever and ever and ever after you get to heaven. He's, he's, he's provided all things pertaining to, from the moment of salvation through eternal life to the very end. What God began, He will complete. And so you can live without fear of losing your spiritual grip or falling from grace. He's provided all things for eternal life. It's living and it's eternal. It's in you. And that second word, godliness, is, is living that out here on earth. Godliness is, is a life that's obedient to Him. Peter reminds me and reminds you that God has not asked us to obey one command or be obedient in a single area that He has not supplied us as Christians with the ability to complete it already. And the gospel brings that to us. And grace is how we come to God in the gospel. <laughs> Look at the end of verse 3. His divine power has given to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. Where does that come from? How do we get that? Through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and excellence or, or virtue comes to us through the knowledge of Him who's called us. Peter reminds us that it's His glorious grace. Why we have all of these things. The knowledge that he speaks of, it comes through a knowledge of Him. It's not just a superficial or factual knowledge. It's, it's a deep and genuine knowledge that we come to understand it at salvation. I mean, when you get saved, you, you don't just know about Christ, although you obviously know more today than you did the 
that you got saved because you read the Bible and sat under sermons and walked it and lived it and whatever else. It's, it's not it's, when you get saved, you just believe the facts about, about God, about Jesus and what He did. And I believed in God and Jesus and heaven and hell and all of those things before I became a Christian. The Bible says even the demons believe, even the devil believes. And they even fear, they tremble. It's not the kind of knowledge that he's talking about here. It's through the knowledge of knowing him. You remember the high priestly prayer in John 17? John 17, 3? This is eternal life. We know him. What's he talking about? Knowing him. There's a moment in salvation when God opens your eyes. Right? I was blind, but now I see. We sing in, in amazing grace. It, it's a moment where you realize who God is, who Jesus is, what He's done. You realize who, who you are in light of that. You realize your sin, and you, learn, you realize His righteousness, and you realize the judgment that is to come. And it's a knowledge of, of Him, knowing Him. And you lay hold of the gospel. You believe. You repent. You know in a spiritual way who He is and what He's done. And you also know it's for you. Peter reminds us that grace has accomplished that. That's what he means by He called us by His own glory and and goodness. It's grace. It's grace. Marvelous, matchless grace called us out of darkness into the marvelous light saying that when we get to heaven, no one is going to, to go there and stand before God and say, Oh, God, I'm, I'm really glad I worked hard enough to get here. Thank you for giving me a chance. When you get there, He's not going to say, God, uh, I give you credit for, you know, for laying out the path, for starting the process, but, but I'm to be commended for walking through all of it. Oh, you surely have a responsibility. You surely will make choices to grow or not to grow, but none of that is possible apart from grace. You won't do either of those things. You'll be like me. You'll fall on your face and say, thank you, God, for grace. And whenever we've been there for a thousand years, we have no less days to sing His praise than when we first begun because it's grace. And that grace is amazing. How does that grace come to us? Look at verse 4. His precious promises. Granted. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you might become a sharer or a partaker of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is that is in the world through through lust. You hear the precious promises. And in those precious promises, you come to a knowledge of Him. And grace is, is operating. We come to Christ through a knowledge of Him. And all of God's promises are fulfilled in, in Christ. Our faith is based on precious and magnificent promises, and God always keeps His promises. 
And because of Christ and His worth and His work, every promise is yes and amen. (laughs) And the result of believing them is we become partakers of the divine nature. We become new creatures in Christ Jesus. We have the Spirit of the living God inside of us. That's the positive side of the coin. What a positive side of the coin it is. The other side, the other benefit, besides having spiritual life and being conformed to the image of of Christ, and the flip side of that is, is found at the end of the verse. That through these we might become partakers of the divine nature. That's the that's the, the positive part, the good part. Here's the other part. And having escaped escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. It declares the other side that we've also escaped the corruption that's in the world. You and I have a complete, powerful, sufficient, grace-granted, promise-filled, divine nature that leads to an escape of corruption kind of faith. That's encouraging. It's freeing, and it's also motivating, which I'll show you next time, probably tonight. Right now, I want you to bow your heads. Let me ask you some questions. It's your opportunity to respond. Jesus to you, the gospel to you. Like a gas can? You see it as something that starts the fire? Whenever you whenever you you need a new shot of a flame or energy, you just break that can out and douse someone there? I would say, hear God say, it doesn't just begin, it it provides everything that, that you need. Realize He's more than that to you. Are you laboring? Are you tired? You trust by faith that God has already supplied? power that's there and everything that you need? Have you trusted by faith that He's done that? Maybe this morning if if you're, you're pushing the lawnmower, you, you just need to ask the Lord, help me believe. I believe. Help my unbelief. Maybe the, the weariness that, that you feel is the very thing, it's the very grace of God that that you need in order to to realize that you are pushing it without engaging the power drive and you need to turn to Him. 
Have you ever trusted by faith in Him at all? I don't have to tell you what living life apart from God will bring and the difficulties and, and trials. And I'm not promising you, nor does God promise you, that, that if you embrace Jesus even this morning, that all of those problems and difficulties will, will go away. What God is promising you this morning is that you will have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That you will have someone to walk through all of those with you and that all of the power and all of the, the help, everything that you need will be supplied. And it won't end in this life. It will be right into the one to come. And you won't face difficulty in this life and then the judgment and eternal damnation. You'll face difficulty in this life and you can glory in that difficulty because of Christ. And you can have His help as you go through. And then in the end, you have an abundant entrance into the everlasting kingdom. Oh, it's a much better way. And old Jesus would say to you today, Come, all who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And he says his burden is not overbearing, but it's light. Father, as we come before you, we... We thank You for Your Word. I thank You for, for Your Word. I thank You, Lord, that You are faithful even when we are not. I thank You that You don't give up on us. You don't cast us aside even whenever we fail to believe Your promises. Even when we try to do things in our own strength and power. Even whenever we refuse to be dependent because we're proud human beings still with marks of the fall wanting to take dominion. I thank You, Lord, that by Your amazing grace You have done these wonderful things. And I pray, Lord, that You'll help us to believe them this morning. I pray, Father, even, even today that someone who's never believed that would do so even now. They'd say, Lord Jesus, nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to your cross, I bow and claim. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.